You are listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast. If you are an Indian living abroad, feeling stuck in an average nine to five or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential, this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories. This is your host, Hassan Ali, a long-time IT professional living in Sydney, Australia, who has made it his mission to find and unpack the stories, strategies, and life lessons of successful and inspiring Indian expats to help you and I reach our full potential. I'm very excited to introduce you to our today's guest, Abbas Kudrati, who is currently the APAC Chief Cybersecurity Advisor at Microsoft. He's a multi-award-winning Chief Cybersecurity Officer. He's also an author, keynote speaker, professor, and mentor. He has worked with companies like Ernst Young, KPMG, National Bank of Kuwait, and many more. I wonder how a commerce graduate built such a prolific career. What worked, what didn't work, the drive, the mindset, the setback, the turning points, moving from tech role to leadership role, becoming a chief cybersecurity officer, then becoming advisor at Microsoft, uh, being in an advisory board to multiple startups, writing books, um, getting multiple awards, teaching at universities, uh, and mentoring professionals. How did he do all these things? So without further ado, let's uh, hear directly from uh, Bas Kudrati himself. Welcome to the show, Abbas. Thank you, Ashan. My pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me today. A pleasure is all mine, Abbas, and uh, you know, very thankful for taking time out on Saturday morning uh, to come on the show. So very quickly in this show, uh, we capture stories of Indian expats who, are, uh, who have either transitioned successfully from corporate to entrepreneurship, or they have done created their own unique career in corporate itself. So you are one who has created a unique career within corporate itself. And I'm pretty sure your story will be highly valuable for a lot of people. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. My honor. It's my pleasure to share uh, my story. If at all it can inspire anyone, I'll be more than happy uh, to hear that. Awesome. So let's get into it. So uh, when I went through your profile, you have done so many things. It would be very difficult for me to really summarize who you are. So if you can share that in your own words, that would be great. <laughs> it's been a fantastic journey so far, I would say, San. So I hail from a very, used to be a small town, but now it's very famous. Uh, it's called Jamnagar uh, in, uh, in a st state of Gujarat, uh, which is now famous for a Reliance city because that's that is right. a, a Reliance refinery uh, has been opened there a few years back. And that's, that's how the name is now picked up from Jamnagar to Reliance city. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Udhirubhai Ambani, for that. So, yeah, I, I born and brought up there, moved around, studied a little bit in Bihar, then came back again in Jamnagar, Gujarat. I did my schooling there. Where and did you study in Bihar? I'm from Bihar, too. I was in Patna for a while. Seriously? Yes. I was in St. Columbus School. St. Columbus, okay. School, okay, got it. Near, near St. Javier School, if you know, yeah. there. In Kadamkoa, if you're familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I used to go to that school until third standard. And then from when I was in fourth standard, we moved back to Jamnagar, Gujarat. Uh, we had a business there in Patna. So, yeah, traveled a bit around at a very young age. Uh, then after finishing my 12th, I moved to Ahmedabad for doing my graduation. From there, I moved to Pune, from Pune to Hyderabad, then Hyderabad to Kuwait, Kuwait to Bahrain. 
heading to Kuwait and again, now back in Australia or then decided to migrate to Australia. Now this is my home. So that was more from the journey, how many cities and countries I have lived and worked. But yeah, coming from a very humble family, grew up with a, a lot of dreams and desire to do something in your life. Studied Bachelor's of Commerce and did a diploma in uh, Information Technology from uh, NIIT and stepped into IT world and became a cybersecurity profession where I am. So Awesome. So currently somebody. you are a security advisor with uh, Microsoft, if I understand right. Yes, I'm the chief cybersecurity advisor for Microsoft. Of Asia, based in Melbourne, Australia, but I cover Australia, New Zealand, India, and Southeast Asia as a part of my work. Yeah. So what I see in your profile, uh, Abbas, is unlike a lot of people in our community who do their job and that's it. Uh, what you have done is uh, beyond your work, you do a lot of different things. You teach in universities. Yes. You do mentoring. You do keynote speaking. You are all over the place. But as you said, <laughs> starting from very humble beginning, it didn't start like that. It gradually turned into who you are today. Yes. So if we can divide your uh, career into two or three or four uh, uh, you know, stages, you know, I would like to understand what were the influences, what were the turning points and the decisions and all, because kind of you have stretched beyond your comfort zone. You didn't start like that. Yeah. And absolutely. so... Your early days, you said you did your uh, computer science, is it? No, Bachelor's of Commerce. But huh, you said Bachelor of Commerce. So let's talk about your first 10 years of experience to start with. So you did your commerce and then how did you get in IT? Yeah, absolutely. So there is an interesting uh, story behind that as well. And, and there are people who influenced me to get into that. So uh, when I was in school, during the schooling days, uh, grade seven or eight, I was, was the first school. Uh, to introduce the computer as a subject at the schooling level. I'm talking about back in 94, 93, 1993 time. And that to the city like Jamnagar. And I was studying in, fortunate to be studied in a private school there in, in, at that to English medium. So of course the fees was very high according to our, our family thing. But my dad, thanks to him, he's still around in, in, in Jamnagar. He, he did his best to pursue me into that particular school. So I was really influenced by this magic box called computer and the fascinating world. We had a very good uh, computer teacher who had moved from Delhi to teach this subject. So I, I was fascinated that I would study, I would like to study into that area. However, as the time passed, we reached to grade 10. And as you know, after grade 10, you have to pick up science or commerce for doing your grade 11 and 12 during those days. I, I got a very good marks, uh, a 69 percentage. But to get into the science stream, you have to have a 70%. So my school did not allow me to pursue into the science stream, saying that, no, you, you, are, you, are miss, you missed by 1%. And my dad somehow was happy that I didn't get into that because it was very costly for us to study science and get into engineering thing. But I later see. on, after three months, uh, my teacher came back and said, go ahead and come back. To, uh, I'll give you admission to that. Then I already changed my mind. I said, I don't want to study science anymore. I'm happy to do my commerce in 11, 12th and get into a BCom stream. But there was a very desire. In, 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 internally, I had a high desire to study IT on that. But circumstances were there that we could not afford to get into engineering college. Although I was capable, I was smart in terms of education and uh, good grades and all. Then I said, okay, I will do a diploma. Forget it. Because I had a very good circle of friends 
who are now working with Yahoo and Amazon and Microsoft and uh, Google and all. Mm. So they are kind, kind of made, made, were my classmates, which who influences me to get into that kind of a career. Mm. I had to took a different uh, route, I would say detour <laughs> yeah. to get into where I am. And it was a bit of a long journey as well. It was not an easy. So did my bachelor's of commerce and then stepped into a diploma. And from diploma, I immediately, I, I, I left Ahmedabad and went to Pune to do my last semester. And there I was picked up from the campus uh, as a first uh, job. I did join a company called BHA, which is now known as a GE Power. Right. I, was, I was hired as a system administration for maintaining their IT environments and networks and all. So I was But like, you studied uh, commerce, right? How did they give you an yeah. IT job? No, I need a diploma, no? NIIT. Oh, so NIIT, yeah, okay, you did diploma. Oh. After your oh. graduation, you did the NIIT diploma. Oh, with the graduation. So while oh, along was, with the, all oh, right. Yes. So that was a stretch. That was the first stretch. That was the and first stretch. I had, I had to leave my hometown because in my hometown during those days, there was not a single English medium college. I had to study a graduation in a Gujarati language, which I don't want to do because I always studying in an English medium school. So I left my hometown, went to, I took admission in one of the colleges there as a, as a bachelor's of commerce. And during the first year itself, I pursued somehow my parents that give me some money. I want to do a diploma. Somehow right. they arranged the money and I stayed, started the diploma. So morning I used to go to college till 12.30. After 12.30, I used to go for my uh, diploma for two right. hours. And after that, I used to work a part-time job, odd jobs just to survive <laughs> in the bath and have some pocket money and gain some experience uh, from the streets as well. Wow, that's nice. That's very nice. So now you are in BHA and you are doing system administration. Yeah, so from there, uh, system administration for a few years. Uh, then one of my CFO, the CFO moved from Pune to Hyderabad to start an IT company. He took me along with him. He said, come over, I need somebody like you to take care of my network. From there, I went to Hyderabad. I worked in Hyderabad for two years. And we had a financial crisis during those times. September 11 attack happened. And uh, the company, which was an American company in Hyderabad, they closed down. So I moved to Kuwait. One of my friends invited me. He said, why don't you come to Middle East? Middle East is doing well. And I'm sure with your kind of talent and knowledge, uh, you will be able to get the job there. So without any job, with 10,000 rupees in my pocket, I just went to Kuwait. And within, within, a 15, 15, 20 days, I managed to get the first job in Kuwait. And that's, that's how the journey started. In Kuwait, I joined Kodak, one of the photographic company, as yeah. their system administration. From there, I moved to network engineering, uh, network security part in one of the education industry in the uh, government sector as a contractor. Yeah. And that's after that, I got my first break with a big company called KPMG, okay. which you all know, one of the big four consulting company, yeah. as, an, as an IT auditor and an ethical hacker. So that's where the hardcore security experience started, being an ethical hacker for uh, KPMG, doing the customer project. From there, I moved to Bahrain, joined ENY. From Anderson Young, then I joined to Electronic Government of uh, Bahrain. I became the chief of uh, security for the entire country of Bahrain. That's mm -hmm. where my management- uh, So this is, when you say you became chief of uh, security, that was uh, in how many years? How many years did uh, it take? That must be uh, uh, 2000, 2003, 4, 2004 or something. So that yeah. was like just three years after you got into the Gulf countries. After uh, four years after I went to yeah. the Gulf country. Yeah. yeah. So that's still pretty fast. So the question <laughs> I have here, uh, Abbas, is, uh, see, I, I uh, a lot of our audience are uh, Indian expats. In fact, most of them, and there are some in India. And uh, a lot of people are 
doing the same role for years. So the project manager working as project manager for 10 years and a business analyst, maybe for five, 10 years. So uh, what does it take to quickly grow into the next role and next role? And <laughs> how did you do that? Did you have to change companies? Did you have to yes, move yes. your work? Did you have to find people who could sponsor you in the next role? Or how did that happen in yes. so rapidly? Yeah, so I, I, what you said is 100% true because there are two schools of thought here. So either you stay in one company and see if there is a growth pathway for you, if that company is that kind of a big and you have a lot of roles to be done uh, in, that, in that company. But in my case, I was very hungry for the growth. I, I had a lot of hunger to grow quickly. And uh, I knew that if staying in one company, they're not going to give me a growth. And I was also keeping up to date myself. So if you remember during the times of Windows 95, 98, and then NT, Windows NT came into play. So I was always upgrading my knowledge. And once I have upgraded my knowledge, I go and tell my company, we should go move forward and expand our technology to the new things. And they said, now we are happy with that. So that means my growth is stopped. So I go and look for another company who can do this advanced stuff. So immediately, I, 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 and if you look at my career path, positively or negatively, you call it, some people call it negatively. I never worked for any company more than two to three years. Mm. But that, that's my way of jumping and growing faster. Mm. No, definitely. How did you get into the new jobs every time? Did you reach out to them directly or how did you do that? Yeah. So again, two ways, uh, because I was strong in networking part as well. So knowing people and uh, know who is doing what. And if I see the opportunity outside, I'm always applying for a new, I used to apply during those days, apply for new role and see if I can get uh, uh, better than what I am today. And if, even if the opportunity is not within the country, I even used to change the country. As you can mm -hmm. see, I'm not hesitate to get comfortable in one country. If I think there mm -hmm. is not much growth in, in Kuwait, I went to Bahrain. <laughs> immediately right. nearby country doesn't matter just pack stuff and go i'm still young just one wife as a family yeah, after after i went to kuwait in a few years i got married so i used to jump around which people right. always hesitate you get very comfortable in a company in a country in a city or oh, i don't want to go anywhere you know which right. is now now the case i'm comfortable in melbourne i don't want to go anywhere else <laughs> it's fine I've, I've been there done that so now i'm comfortable mm -hmm. but uh, those were the days when you are young you're hungry keep keep on moving keep on moving and keep on jumping that's a way of my, my growth i would say I've, I've been to that place yeah very nice abbas you already touched upon some very crucial factors one you said very casually i was good at networking that's a key or core skill that is required to grow i mean unless you know people how would you really yeah. make a change because uh, people didn't don't really give you a job just by looking at your resume and if there is any reference it becomes much easier plus you get to know what's happening out there you know then only you get excited if you're ambitious ambitious you see better mm. opportunities somewhere because you're connected with people then you also said you kept upgrading yourself yes okay so these two definitely helped and you were willing to make change you were not like oh if it is there in this city and this suburb then only i'm coming otherwise i'm not coming if the role entails only this, I'm coming. Otherwise, a lot of people have those restrictions, you know, and yeah. that's that's where people get stuck. So now that's fantastic. But I still have one question. So the your profile was a very technical profile in a system administration, but you rose into leadership role as well very quickly. So where did that come from? Was it something you uh, wished for or you aimed for? Did you do yeah. any preparation or you just Absolutely. got in there by accident? No, no. I wanted to get into the leadership role very quickly. And that is an interesting story. So I don't mind sharing that story with yes, you for, for the benefit of our audience. 
So while I was working in a company called Ernest & Young in Bahrain, they have a good career pathway. So I joined there as an assistant manager or a senior consultant at that time. And the next obvious level was to get into a management role, which is a manager. And they have a program, they used to have a program, I'm sure they still have it in many countries in ENY, called Managerial Assessment and Development Course. If you want to become a manager at a leadership level, you have to pass that particular course. You go for a one-week training, they assess you from presentation skills and, and communications and leadership and whatnot. It's a very full-fledged, rigorous assessment. So to get into that opportunity, uh, you, you should be getting nominated by your immediate manager. And my manager gave me an opportunity in one of the customer presentation that go and do this presentation there. And I failed in the presentation. Okay. I, and I, I couldn't speak in front of the audience and I started uh, stammering and uh, sweaty and nervousness and all. He said, okay, I'll give you another chance. He gave me one more chance and he told me to go to Oman for a project uh, because I was subject matter expert in that particular domain. And I was, I was asked to stand up in front of an auditorium with all the executives of uh, Oman National Bank in front of me. And I could not deliver the presentation. Immediately, another person came and took over from me and did the presentation. After that, my manager said, sorry, you're not going for the manager level. You need to go and, and learn those skills. Mm. That's where my wife, who was an active Toastmasters during those days, all right. she introduced me to, to this particular club called Toastmasters Club. Mm. Uh, he said, now you go and learn your uh, how to speak in front of audience and get mm. comfortable. Mm. So instead of one club, I joined two clubs. Right. And instead of going one once a week, I used to started going twice a week to those clubs to started uh, learning those tips and tricks of public speaking. Right. That's changed my life completely. Within six months, I, I got comfortable. I learned tips and tricks on how to speak in front of audience, uh, come out on the language, stage fear and whatnot. And next year I was given an opportunity and I became a manager. As soon as I became manager, I started looking for a, a leadership role out in the market. <laughs> I got a job of a head of security for electronic government. And that's the end of the story. Now, continues. I still continue. Fantastic. That. So you basically, one thing you kept strong was your technical skill. And then with the failure and the hurt because of that failure, you used to improve yourself and started to move into the leadership role. So. Yes. Uh, you were strong technically, uh, you developed your communication skill and that I think do these two things started to take you to the next. Plus you were always, always eager to make the change if that Learning. is what is required to grow uh, to the next. What drove you to constantly do that? It requires a lot of energy, a lot of uh, yeah, so being it, uncomfortable all the time. What, what drove you to do all, all yeah, the time? Yeah. If you hear me at the beginning, I said I come from a very humble background. So I have seen the poverty at a very young age, you know, always been struggled to even buy a new shoes, wearing those uh, broken shoes and going to school. So I always had a desire that I want to do something in my life. I want to change life of my parents and my family member. And I also wanted to do better in my life. I don't want my family or my children to struggle the way I, I have a very struggling childhood. So that was, there was their hunger inside that. I will do I will do whatever it takes to get secure, financially secure better and improve the quality of life for my parents and my everyone, everyone within my family. So that's why I keep on pushing myself, going continuously studying uh, and keeping myself up to date, changing job in anywhere I can if I can get a better salary and a better opportunity is to jump jump the job and go there to, mm -hmm. to grow fast in my career. Grow fast, you know, and, definitely. Uh, thank 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 God. Uh, all those techniques worked. Going to Middle East, Middle East salary was very much better, tax-free. Yeah. I was able to save and help my parents back in India. 
in, yeah. in improve their quality of life and got married and all those things uh, which happened uh, over a period of time yeah. but that one thing kept on pushing me continuously do better and i'm still not stopping even okay. though thank god i have i have everything future is secure but mm-hmm. now that it's become part of my lifestyle i want it to has... do better i will still want to help others around me mm-hmm. that's why you see i do lots of mentoring and teaching and and whatever i can help the community to get to change their lifestyle you know back in india or anywhere else who wants to uh, get inspired in, out of that journey that's that's awesome so in in gulf now you are head of uh, that time it was called head of information security right yeah it used to be head of information security yeah so you became head of information security and what changes when you were a system administration or a manager to becoming mm. head of the department what changes in terms of role in terms of the stretch that one needs to do while moving from mm. a tech job to a head of department job what change do you remember yeah absolutely so each of we call it head of information security in some country some country call it ciso which is chief information security officer uh, or some countries in america they call it cso chief security officer it's nothing but one of the same it is more of a leadership role at, at in an organization considered as one of the top most authority in a information security or now it's called cyber security right that's right yeah and the whole objective of that particular role is to make sure that there is an alignment of overall business objective of that company along with it and a cyber security so as a head of security i need to make sure the company is moving in the right direction and it is in a secure manner so i was in a electronic government and their job was to convert all the traditional uh, services which is which was paper based into a digital making sure that the digital services are secure they are not hacked because they used to continuously getting hacked and that's why they created this particular role in that company so after i went there being a technical background i was able to d- direct them into the right direction that these are the things we need to do it to improve the user experience and also being providing them a secure service so that way the data which we collect is are are more secure and been protected as well so what i wanted to really understand about here is um, again going back to our community uh, a lot of people are you know just working in the same roles for many many years and when you change role your identity does your identity in terms of okay this is my role now i need to do it differently what changes in the focus so i'm a, as a technology person i'm only interested in making sure the the code works or mm. if i'm in the network everything is set the monitoring is fine i may want to automate so my whole time my thinking is all about doing something technically but when mm. you become head of department i don't think that can be the focus because it's a very broad role and yes. you are interacting with other heads plus the ceo of the company uh, yep. you are more business aligned so what changes in terms of thought process and focus yeah as you said correctly shan it's not it's not only about the technical part uh, especially when you are going to the leadership role now your focus is more at an organization level you you have to connect one of the feedback i always give it in my role who was who is pursuing the ceo role is always try to understand the business first what right. business you are trying to protect right connect with all the uh, right stakeholder understand their core, core priorities and then mm-hmm. align your work in terms of what can you help them in achieving their their objective be the uh, strategic advisor be the uh, leader which they are seeking for guide them in terms of right direction and use your all your experience and technical knowledge to do to to, to help them uh, in case of uh, technology part as well is required right so it's it's a mix of both technical knowledge yes helps you 
but also from the leadership, taking everyone together into that particular journey, bringing that cultural change within the environment. These are the things, something uh, you have to pursue as a leader. So I mean, I'm kind of hung up on there. One more last question. On yeah, this sure. is, uh, and again, I'm doing it for the benefit of a, a listener. I think I understand now a lot of these things. Uh, when somebody moves from technical to a, a leadership role, the fear is I'm not sure if I can think like my business. I'm not sure if I understand their language. I don't know how to ask about this or that because mm. I don't have the experience. It's like I lived in, say, Gujarat. I spoke Gujarati and suddenly I'm in New mm. York. How do I really interact? You know, that kind of fear and doubts people may have. Did yeah. you have any one of those things? Absolutely. As you see, I've, I've worked in many countries. So going to Middle East, not knowing Arabic at all. And I survived not only for one, two years, I survived for okay. 14 years. Yeah, so that was the language part. Now, in terms of the business part, <laughs> yeah. so now you are dealing with the, you are ahead. So you are dealing with business. Did yeah, you have to uh, bridge that gap of you being a technical to understand your business and talking their language? You have to. You have to. So any interviews uh, I, I go for our particular business, because if you look at my career history, I have not only worked in one single industry. I worked in government, I worked in banking, I worked in, in software companies, you know, I worked in uh, manufacturing companies. So it's not, it's, it's very, I would want to say it's easy. It's really tough to go to those interviews and tell them and convince them that, hey, you understand business. So I used to spend hours and days in understanding that particular business and about that company before even going to the interview. Right. So when I'm going for the interview, I know what they do, how they do, who are the key stakeholders. And, and actually there is an interesting story, but I'll park that story until I answer that for you. Yeah. Is understand the complete business and then uh, go for the interview in a, in a complete preparation. So when they ask me, what do you know about my company? I, and I used to tell them, I know, I know whatever I can. And this is how I'm going to help you in achieve what you are looking for in that role. Mm. So they used to get convinced in that. And after I joined the company, then of course I have to study further. As I said, meet the right stakeholders to do what processes they they are there, and then then you will be successful in that role. It's not that. That gold. was gold, Abbas. What you just shared was gold. Like you know, you and I think that's that makes so much of sense. If I go for an interview to a company, I just need to tell them. I think I understand your problem. This is what it is. And if they say, yeah, kind of, this is what we're trying to do. And uh, I would be able to solve because I've done so-and-so things. And, you know, I'm very keen to come on board and, uh, you know, solve this problem for you. That conversation is no more an interview. I mean, interview is somewhere somebody has 10, 15 questions and they're asking you, it's so difficult to crack the interviews because it's not aligned with who you are. It's not aligned with what you can actually deliver. But if you can just talk about the problems they have and how you will solve, you know, that completely changes the game. You, you want to hear a story now about yes, that? Please, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I was in Kuwait, in the National Bank of Kuwait. I already got my PR. I applied for my PR for Australia. I got the PR. Now, the biggest fear when you're working in the Middle East is I'm going to go to Australia without any jobs as a newcomer. I don't know how months I have to live there to survive on my saving and then get settled. It's a completely new country. Yes. And you know, you know, Australian culture, right? When you yes. come here, you, you don't get a job immediately unless you have a local experience. Yes. You will hear this from hundreds yeah. of people. Which, 2003. 2003. 2000, sorry, 2013. 
2013. Okay, let's go ahead. Seven yeah. years. Yeah, seven, uh, eight years, nine years now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was in Kuwait and I, I came here to Australia in a quick entry during the Christmas time. When I came here, I bought a SIM card uh, number. I even registered my ABN. I even registered my company when I came here for a visit. I went back. We decided as a family, we are going, going to, to Australia in next three, four months, period. We already decided that we are going, irrespective if we have a job or not. But I started applying for the job online on seek.com. I had a local number. So I changed my CV, put the local number as, as well. I used to get call in Kuwait on the local number of Australia in the middle of the night. Hey, we your job profile matches. Are you available here? I yeah. said, yeah, I'm, I'm right now on vacation. I'll be there in two months. Tell yeah. me, what's the interview? Yeah. And he said, one such company came, Public Transport Victoria, PT right. here. Right. Okay. They said, Abbas, we like your profile. You'd like to interview. How soon can you uh, come for the interview? I said, I'm not available in, in Melbourne now. I'm in uh, Middle East finishing my role. I'll, soon I'll be there. I didn't book my ticket yet. Yeah. I said, okay, we'd like to take an interview. This is the first date of interview. We'd like to give it. I said, okay, go ahead. So I, I thoroughly, one week, I did the complete study of what's, what is public transport Victoria, what they do. They run train, tram, metros and all. With the use of internet, I found their audit reports in terms of what are the various audit issues they have because it's a public right. company. Right. They, their audit reports are available on uh, Victoria Audit General Office. Yes. So I, I read through everything. And the first interview, the guys, uh, CIO and another project manager from technology, they took my first interview, something like this on a video conference. Yeah. They started asking me a question. I said, I know what you guys are doing. I can tell you. And these are the five top issues you today have in your technology environment. And I know that because I've read the audit report. So how do you know this information? I said, I know it. I know that you guys got hacked six months back and a schoolboy hacked your PTV portal <laughs> and your mic information was leaked. And these are the things you should have done it to protect it. Mm. So I changed the whole conversation of where they were asking interview. Yes. After the first interview itself, they told the recruiter that we only want this guy, nobody else. Ask him mm. to come immediately. Mm. <laughs> and I awesome. told them, I, I cannot come uh, in three months because I have to finish my kids schooling and all. They said, we will wait for five months for you. Wow. As soon as we can come, please come. So wow. they waited five months for me while I was in Middle East. I gave the interview in March. I landed here in June, three months time. I came alone because school was still going on, but I came here with a job in hand. So I landed on Wednesday. Thursday, I slept. Friday, I went and bought the car. Monday, I started my job. Fantastic. So now you, you <laughs> kind of reveal the secret here. It's not secret. It's just a little bit of extra effort yes. in finding about a company. So you talked about audit report. Uh, even if you look at any company's annual report, there is yep. so much of information out there. You know, if you look at annual report, it talks about the investments they are doing. And if you are, say, for example, in uh, analytics, they'll talk about what are they doing. I mean, it's so much of information in annual report itself. And yeah. then if you start to Google about the company in news, you could go six months, one year, automatically it shows up all of those things. It and just takes a little bit of effort. And as you rightly said, you invested a solid one week to really research. And you, you talked about Mikey. Uh, you didn't know what Mikey was. What Mikey was. <laughs> but the way you spoke, for them it was, you know, you are familiar with it. You know, you live somewhere else, but you're talking Mikey. You know, it's, it's, it's so much uh, of trust that you built by sharing those information with them. Yeah, and I think more, they would not have asked you any technical question. I guess like how no, did they you do that? They they know that I knew a lot, and yeah. within and and I I in fact proved it as soon as I started my job. 
within four months, I bring so many positive changes in them. Within one year, I, I turn around the, their security posture. I even applied for an award and I got an award as in uh, top five CISOs in the country within oh, one and a half year. So, so that, you, you joined them as CISO directly, is it? Yeah, uh, they, they used to call it manager, but title was a CISO. So I was a CISO for PTV. Okay. I was the first CISO for the PTV, you could say it. <laughs> Oh, because this whole information security was coming into cybersecurity and yes. the CISO role itself was new, yes. relatively after, new. After one year, I changed my, I got, got them changed my title. Yeah. I was hired as a security manager, but after one year I pursued them because I need to align it at a more strategic level. So I made them change my title and using the change, I was able to get the job into KPMG Australia as a CISO, as, as, as a CISO there. So as you, well. you were driven, you were focused, you were driven. Yeah. Uh, and so again, I just want to highlight here uh, for uh, everybody's interest. So career is not just about working hard. Career has other elements. And you already mentioned that uh, networking is looking forward to the next step. Planning. You want yeah, to do. Planning. planning and um, the bit of personal branding as well. As you said, you applied for the award. It takes effort to apply for the award, right? Yes, yes. It takes effort to create your profile in a way you can win the award, right? These are extra efforts. So a lot of people say, oh, I'm not sure if I'm like, I can get the award. Uh, and pe most people would not even uh, apply for the award. So this was new for, I guess, for a lot of uh, uh, people in our community. You mm. can apply for awards. So you got to find out in your industry, in your area of expertise, what are the awards available? And if yeah. it's not possible immediately, you know, plan for two years from now. You know, who yeah, stops you, us? You really have to plan it. You have to do extra bit of a thing. Nobody's going to give you an award if for doing the job what you're asked to be done. You need to do something extra. What else you are doing other than doing job? Mentoring is one, writing books, authoring is one, extra giving lectures to, uh, to those, those things, any community service you are doing. That's what they are looking for, right? It's not like I have a nine to five job and I go home. So what? Mm-hmm. And half of the world does that. Exactly, well, how, not half, 90%. <laughs> What, what are you doing differently? When it comes to your role as CISO and then doing a number of things that you mentioned, you know, the teaching, the mentoring, the writing book, the keynote speaking, you know, thinking about award and get applying and getting there. You thought like there are four or five, six extra things you're talking about. When did you get in that mindset that beyond work, I need to do these things as well? When did you learn to do that? that? I mean, nobody teaches us. How did you learn? When did you uh, start uh, thinking in that direction? So these all started back in Middle East, to be honest. India, I was never uh, doing anything extra other than a nine to five job because that was my early days of career. And I have to really focus on doing that apart from studying and upgrading my knowledge. When I moved to Middle East, the timing was very different there. My job was seven to two. I started seven o'clock and finished at two o'clock. It was a government job. After two, what else you do? So I went into Toastmasters. I was doing Toastmasters. I became a servant leader doing those the community service, uh, arranging the workshops and whatnot, and, and get, got into that mode of spending time in, in uh, whatever I can do it extra. So that leadership quality by taking up the presidency of a Toastmaster club, starting a new club along with my wife, me and my wife were like full-time, th- uh, part-time thriving uh, on Toastmasters. All right. <laughs> public, public speaking and all. Yes, Over sir. there, public speaking, Akira, from that time it started. Yeah, that's from fantastic. In Bahrain, we started, we took away, from Bahrain, we went to Kuwait. We did the same thing in Kuwait as well, previously wow. as well. So that that made us more doing more such activity work. Yeah. And when when, by, when I came here, Australia, Australia is a culture where we, we have to do a bit extra. 
That's right. Because this is now our home. This is our country. And yes. here we have a fellow, you know, as you know, we call it mateship, right? Yeah. You have to help others yeah. in a way you can, because yeah. we don't have much of a population here. Everybody has yeah. to do a bit of extra. Yeah. So doing voluntary work, joining those Isaka chapters, you know, joining the local community for doing things. I'm on school advisory board as well in the local school where my, my kids goes. So doing everything extra to share my knowledge and experience for doing that. I, I'm, I'm one of, I used to do scouts. Now I stop. I used to be uh, a Victorian scout along, going along with my kids. So my kids are going, but if I can spend two hours along with my kids and help other kids as well, why not? So that, that culture and motivations, which uh, helps me keeps on moving. I want to help others as well. Whatever time and energy I have, let's utilize in a positive way uh, to bring, in a, to build a better society here. And it works two ways, right, Abbas? One is you feel good about it. Uh, you are giving back. At the same time, it uh, holistically helps in career growth as well because today employers look at these aspects like, what do you do? Do you just go to work and come back or you are somebody beyond that? So they look for you know, what kind of value and personality you have because even organizations are very vocal about their value system and culture and stuff like that. Yeah. So these elements invite you to better quality companies, you know, <laughs> so it automatically works in favor as well. And Absolutely. you feel good, you are contributing as a human, plus your career also grows. So now that's really, fun. but how do you find time for all of those things? The concern would be of people who are listening would say, ah, oh, yeah, I know, yeah. but where is the time with after work and family and uh, where is you, the time you to need a support. You need support from everywhere around you, you know, your family as well. So if I tell my wife two hours I'm going to spend in in, in doing the uh, community scouts uh, scouts here locally, I mean they have to support you. That okay, kids are going there, so I'm going there. I, I just go and do, just don't go and drop my kids and come back home. I, if I can stay two hours extra in the, in the scouts along with my son, my daughter, then it's a win-win for both. I'm spending more time with my children by going to that scout and also helping other kids as well. So you need to find a way which could balance everything because you can't go leave everything behind and just doing community service. It's not never going to help. So, and as a part of my job as well, we, we are being given voluntary hours as well, you know? So right. Friday, yeah. So when I was in KPMG here, Friday, three hours, I used to assign for mentoring. So kids from various university, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the registered mentor with RMIT, Swinburne, Latrobe and Deacon. So I register my profile there and people who find my profile interesting, they book me a time and I used to give, ask them to come to my office every Friday. Uh, wow. So, so two hours, uh, one hour during my lunch break and one hour extra I used to spend every, every, every Friday doing mentoring. So you need to find that kind of a balance. But how do you find these opportunities, Abbas? I mean, I didn't even know that you could register with the university. Yes. Every, every many of the top university have a mentoring program. So you go RMIT, uh, even they awarded me with a certificate. I mentored 12 kids in one year. They said, nobody has ever done How it. How did you find about this opportunity, Abbas? <laughs> you need to look for it. When you have to do something, you look you for look it. When for you're it. hungry, what do you do? You go and Google the restaurants, right? Okay. I'm yeah. hungry <laughs> for doing these things. I'm hungry for doing uh, or mentoring kind of a thing. So I want to give back to students because nobody holded my hand at an early age that do this, do they not. People used to be opposite to what I, I, I told them I want to go to Ahmedabad for studies. Everybody said, why are you going Ahmedabad? Why don't you stay here and help your dad? You know, but I, I, I went against their will. So I, if I can mentor somebody and guide and coach them rightly, they would, have, they would accelerate their career rather than going haywire back and forth and reaching to the direction where I had.
I had, as I said, I had to take a detour, right? Right. right. I had to go zigzag way to reach where if I had a good mentor to hold my hand, I would have gone straight away and joined Microsoft maybe 10 years back. <laughs> that example. Right. True. No, I understand what you're saying. See, when you came in 2013, you said you were here for a short time or maybe the second time you came and immediately you registered for your business. Why did you do that? Why did you I, register ABN? I, uh, so, okay, that's another plan because I had a... I come from an entrepreneur background. My dad has a business. Remember I told I did my yes. BCom for the yes. business. Yes. So that business mentality was always there. Even when I was in Kuwait, I had a part-time company registered. I used to develop website, host website, repair PCs, recover data from the hard disk. That was my part-time job. Seriously. You, right? Because my job was seven to two. What should right. I do after two o'clock? Right. After two o'clock, I used to run my own small shop at home and do Toastmasters and whatever, whatnot. Mm. That entrepreneurship was there. So I decided mm. if I go to Australia, if I don't get a job within a month, I get set myself a target. If I land here and don't get a job in one month, I'll become a contractor. I am a hands-on person. I can do anything. I will go repair PCs. I will go develop website. I'll go and consult. I'll become an advisor. But thankfully, I had a job before when I landed here. So right. when I came for the first time, I registered my ABN, which is still active. I have my company name. I have my business card, everything. But I, I got a job before landing here. So I just shut down the website. Website still there. Business card still there, same number. But I'm not doing anything under, under that banner because I have a beautiful job now. Fantastic. Fantastic. The second thing uh, you talked about is award. Let's talk about various awards you applied <laughs> to, people recommended or referred you, and then you got it. So one you talked about is the top five CISOs in Australia. That was one thing you did. Yep. That yep. was probably 2015-16 time. Yep. So even I, I started uh, uh, applying and nominated, got award in back in Middle East itself. The very mm. first award I got it from, it was a strategist of the year for strategist of the year. electronic government in Bahrain that I was nominated for bringing the full cultural change in the company. And I was nominated as an, a winner for that. So any company, okay, this is my target. Any company I go and work for, I have to do something unique to build that particular brand and the impression. So mm. if you pick up my last five companies, I have award for every company I worked for. Mm. You pick up for electronic government, I have an award from there. Mm. I went to National Bank of Kuwait, I have an award from there called mm. IT Governance of the Person of the Year. Mm. Then I went to PTV from NBK. I came here, Australia. I joined Public Transfer Victoria. I have an award from there called top, uh, nominated as a top five CISOs. Mm. Then I went to KPMG. I have multiple awards from KPMG, Boss of the Sock Award. Then all the awards are here. I'm looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> Middle East CISO of the Year Award. Then I have one more from there as well. Uh, Security Professional of the Year Award from uh, PTV. Then I joined Microsoft. Then I Microsoft. So we can't count it. We can't count it. How do you go about <laughs> it? <laughs> so let's, so uh, yeah, you... Yeah, let's break down your thought process. You said before you start, you think about what impact I can create. Yeah. And that what impact itself converts yeah. into an award. Give a little bit more insight. It would be very useful for a lot of people in our community. We don't have this mindset, Abbas. <laughs> it's powerful what you're doing. Yeah, so mindset is I have to do something differently and, and bit of a unique way, which nobody has ever thought for. So what, what makes me different? If they hired me, what did what value or what impact can I did I bring to that job? Am I just doing the nine to five job and that's it, keeping the lights on? No, I need to do something more creative way and convert that into a case study or learning which others can learn from, uniqueness. So example, I gave you with the very first award for the security strategies. What unique thing I bring there? I had trained 27 ministries. 
across the country on security awareness in a much more simpler way in two languages. I built up that entire strategy that why I need to do that because they were constantly getting hacked. You know, same way when I joined PTV, why I, why I was nominated there because I created that kind of an incident management framework for them, which could help them quickly identify what the issues are and how to contact and, and how to recover the whole process that was built upon by me. So that I presented to the award nomination body that this is a unique thing I have created. Same thing in KPMG, I got them certified as a 27,001, the very first consulting company in the entire country to get certified for 27,001, that too within one and a half year, which no other previous user could do it. You know? So, so how, how, would you, how do you find out that this is going to be a strategic move? This is going to be aligned yep. with the company's goal? Do you yep. go and talk to the senior executives like Absolutely. I'm thinking like this? What do you think? And do you do those kind of uh, validations before you get deep absolutely, into it? absolutely. So as I said, understanding the business, understanding their problem, how quickly and and what unique unique way you can do it, even though by saving money or you, with whatever resources you have, and then get it endorsed by your other peers. As I said, I had many mentors. I used to go and talk to other other friends and said, "This is what I have done. You think it's uh, it makes it works? I'm trying it." He said, "Yep, go ahead and try it, and let's see if it is successful, and then create a case study." So I convert them into case study and publish on Isaka portals and many other, you know, that way. Right. So you, you are telling a lot of things very rapid, which people may not uh, really... Yes, we need, to, because, we need more time on that. Yeah, because what you said, let me quickly uh, open that uh, thought for us. Uh, you said, uh, you know, go and publish in, say, Isaka. Isaka is the uh, cybersecurity community. So when yep. you publish something, it uh, gets revealed by to, you know, the whole community. And I guess it goes worldwide as well because it's, yep. a, it's worldwide. a worldwide community. So that whole thought yep. process of picking up something in the year, apart from my regular job uh, that I can convert in case study, it's validated by peers and mentors and it's a real problem. It takes a little bit of effort, yes, but a, it's very exciting because end of it, you see the result, people are happy. They are, uh, you know, they feel uh, Abbas had added a lot of value and of course that converts into an award as well and that converts into your further career growth. So that, that's fantastic. You have revealed a lot of ideas on career uh, today. So, so, so Abbas, some really, one more, really... One more idea. One more idea. I'm sure people will love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Isaka published a, a journal every month. Yeah. Uh, it's called, their magazine is called Journal. Yeah. Pick up, pick up any, any most recent last one year, any, any journal month go at the end of the page, you will find the leaders and supporters name. Hmm. You'll find my name there. Always. Why? Because I steal the ideas. I get inspired from that. Let, let me not use the word steal. I get inspired from them. What is what I do? So any article which has been published in Isaka Journal, I'm one of the technical reviewer. So they send me the article in advance. Can you review and confirm if the article is good? Right, And if it's not good, I give a recommendation that ask the author. I don't know who the author is because they don't reveal the author unless it is published. Mm. So I get the, get the journal uh, article from them. I review it and give my comments whether it's good, bad, ugly, they need to change. This, this can be added, that can be added. It goes back to them. So when I read those articles, I get inspired. That, hey, I, this guy is thinking in a way, what else I should, I, I can do it differently than what this guy, this guy is doing. Am I smarter than him? I challenge or her. I, I challenge myself. Yes. I challenge myself and try to do that in my job. Wow. That's and so that converts into a good use case or an award or whatever you want to call it. Another so secret I revealed. 
that, that's so interesting. So in terms of uh, the role as the CISO and now you are advisor, was there any different that difference in the way you operated at the CISO in Gulf countries versus the way you operated here in Australia? It's absolutely a, a different, but I would say the difference is more from the cultural point of view. Cultural point of view. The way they look at CISO role in Middle East and the way it is looked upon in Australia, it's, it's a huge difference. There is a huge difference now. Now, I would say seven years down the line, because I'm talking about seven years old uh, CISO role in, in Middle East, now things must have changed because now they are aligning everything internationally. If I am following NIST cybersecurity framework as an example, uh, I'm not sure if you know about that, but I'm just throwing a technical jargon here. Yeah, if yeah, I'm please. following that framework here in Australia, that framework is also now widely adapted in Middle East as well. So that from technology wise, it is good. Cultural part is still a bit of a challenge there. They look at it in a different way. They may not, they call you a CISO, but they may not give you a table. Uh, they, they may not give you a seat on the leadership table. Mm. Not all companies are same, I would say. But in Some, here, you do have a seat in leadership. In here, in here also depends upon company to company size and the role as well. They are now, the culture is changing here as well. Now the CISOs are considered as, as been given as a seat on a leadership table that you are part of the leadership. You are part of the business. It's not the technology. You are not focusing on only firewalls or blocking the threats and fixing the malware and ransomware. You are part of a business. You are aligning yourself to that kind of a business, how they operate and helping the business to grow. So this is interesting, Abbas. A lot of us uh, as Indians, we think that we have come to a foreign land and we can grow to a level, but we will not get into leadership role. But you are saying you get a seat on uh, the uh, leadership team. How, how did that happen? I mean, do, you are aware of this thought process, right? You wouldn't go beyond certain level. You will not get into actually business leadership team. But you are saying it other way around. You're saying, oh, today that's happening. So how did that happen for you? Do you have that cognizance or you feel like, okay, I'm not sure it has just happened? No, no, it is happening and you have to make it happen as well. You need to show right. the value of your role and right. what, what impact you are making it in overall business. Once mm -hmm. they see that, they will give you that kind of a seat that, hey, ask, ask the CISO first or ask mm -hmm. the Abbas first before we do that, before we, one good example is in my previous role, we used to acquire many companies. They acquired one company without, without having consultation from the CISO. And miserably, they had so many issues because they did not assess things from security point of view. And when they started plugging that environment into our, our own company, it did not work. So they mm -hmm. learned it in a hard way saying that, allow me to get involved at an early stage if, you, if you're planning to acquire the company. Before even signing the paper, get it assessed whether is that company compatible with our company or not from the technology point of view, from security point of view. And I used to then, once I sign off, only then they acquire the company. So that, that's, a, that's the impact or the change or the value you bring in from your role. That, hey, right. let's consult this role right. before we even buy, take such a business decision. Acquiring company is a business decision. It's not a technical decision. Yes. But now that company is dependent on technology so much, they have to align together. Yes. So that way you need to think of what, where, where you can add value. Yeah, uh, you shared another gold value. It's all about value. It's not about the skin color or anything else. It's all about value. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, if you feel like there is a little bit of bias, increase the value. As simple as that. Fantastic. So the last uh, question on your career is: so from CISO you became advisor. So you've been Microsoft uh, Chief Security uh, 
advisor for last three, four years, I think. Yes, yeah. Three what years. does that role entail? How is that different from <laughs> CISO role? And why would you jump from CISO to that role? Okay. So that, that goes, I asked myself a question, what's next? Mm. Being a CISO for a number of years, what is next? I have been to various countries, I have worked in various companies on a various, level, various types of CISO role, helping them from a green field to getting mature or fixing their issues and getting mature. What next? I used to keep on asking myself, okay, now I have reached to a CISO role in KPMG, where I can go next? <laughs> so then I thought, okay, uh, Microsoft came up with this role. They were looking for an advisor who can advise the CISO of, of their customers. I said, okay, I should give my hands up. So yeah. now, I, and, I, and they wanted somebody who is evangelist, who, who is a public speaker, because they required this person to go and, and market their product in, a, in, a, in all those various community forums and industry conferences and all. And right. if you look at my profile, I've been doing Toastmasters and speaking in uh, things. Yes. Everything aligned. Right. My public speaking persona and my conference experience aligned, my CISO role aligned. And when I gave the interview, I told the interviewer in Microsoft that this role is cowed for me. <laughs> for me. This is what you asked for. This is what I have done. Mm. You will not find anyone better. And they got convinced. <laughs> mm, that's so now I advise to CISO community from our customer to make sure that whatever investment they have done in Microsoft technology, they get the best value out of them not from the sales point of view, but from the implementation and from the strategy point of view. So that's right. what I do, uh, wow. being an advisor. Okay. So that bridges the gap between, so, I mean, Microsoft has variety of products. It gets sold mm. to the customer, but they realized a gap. They realized that when it comes to the security side, uh, either customers may not be implementing it right or may not be getting the ROI or may not be just sure, you know, how to really make sense of all these things. So that's where you come in, you, you bridge that gap. Absolutely. And there's a huge ROI because it converts into more sales for uh, Microsoft, yep. I guess. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So that's, that's amazing, Bas. I think I got a lot from your story. You kind of create in this whole conversation, uh, you gave a career roadmap for anybody to really build from a scratch. So that, that was fantastic. But as a final question, Abbas, if you have to go back to in the past, a 21-year-old Abbas, and uh, you have like lived a very lucrative career. You have built a very strategic, high-flying career. I don't know if you still have something you would do differently, but if I had to ask you that question, you go back talking to your 21-year-old Abbas, what suggestions or advice you would give to him? Yeah, I would say learn to fail fast. Right. Can you Why? elaborate that? Yeah, if you if for example, if you got into a job, if you don't like that job, leave quickly. Don't wait until okay, I will let me spend one more year. Hope things will improve. Hope let me spend another six months. Hope things things will improve. If it is not improving, fail fast and move on, so you can you can get much more comfortable or much better opportunity later on. You know, that one thing I would suggest. And the second thing, or actually I have three things. So second thing yes, is uh, getting out of your comfort zone. Don't confine yourself into that particular world in a kuwaitic. Just mm. don't be into that well. Mm. Jump out and see the world is really big. There are heaps of opportunity just because you you are not able to find two or three jobs here in that particular city or a country. Go out. You are still young. You are twenty one years old. You have a whole world, a whole whole number of years ahead in front of you. Get out. Go from city to city, country to country. Jump around. There are countries who need need good talent. If you think you are smart enough, which you should believe into, mm. get yourself good qualifications or certification, whatever it like, 
Hmm. So you have that power to communicate that, hey, you can do that job, hmm. get out of that particular country, hmm. you know, so move out, move around. Uh, that's what I would always recommend uh, my 20, 21 year old or myself that which, have, which I'm really glad that I took that decision. I never hmm. stayed in one place at, for a longer time and, and I failed fast as well. I want to get out quickly in that, in that space. Third thing is don't stop learning. Don't stop learning. Learning has to be continuous. You have to keep yourself upgraded because as we, as we have a saying, like running water is always fresh. Yeah. If, you are not, if you are not studying continuously, you, are, you will be limited to, to, to one place. And, if and I know you have, a, you have a discipline routine on that. Do you mind sharing that? <laughs> yes, I do have a discipline routine. And that, 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 culture, that discipline I embedded in my life at a very young age before even I got married. So the way I used to follow is the, if I'm getting a hundred dollar salary, I will to save $10 for my education. And I still follow that. Of course, now company pays everything for me. Uh, if I want to give some exam or study something, usually these days companies is investing upon you. But those days company will have only one, one, one such trainings available as a part of their budget. But I used to keep set budget aside from my thing this is my salary, this is my expense, this is my saving, and this is my personal investment on myself, on my education. Mm -hmm. And I used to follow the discipline by set number of budget in terms of money and set number of hours for study on a, on a regular basis, you know, reading, continuously upgrading my knowledge, giving the certification exams, keeping my technical knowledge up to date on leadership, Toastmasters, as I said, you know, reading books, huge library like what you have, I have it in, on my this side of my things to keep myself that particular discipline in your lifestyle helps a long way. And this is the result of that, I would say. I vaguely remember you say you wake up early in the morning and then you have your study done in the morning itself. Yes, yes, yes. Is it like a seven days a week routine? It is a seven day. It doesn't matter if it is a weekend Can or not. Can you tell me a little bit about yeah. that? And so I, what I'm an you... early, yeah, I'm an early riser. So I wake up at uh, five o'clock mostly, most of the days, five, five, 15 sometimes, uh, depends upon the weather. Uh, I wake up early uh, once I finish my daily routine of prayers and exercise and all. And then I start looking at those fine times in terms of reading and whatever happenings, news could be updated from the blogs or any kind of reading I want to do. But these days, as you know, I'm writing books. So I spend one or two hours, plan my day. Okay, this is the chapters I want to write or these many topics I want to write and leave it for the weekend to finish the chapter. So that discipline I've been following for a number of years. Uh, but I sleep early as well. I sleep 8.30, maximum 9 o'clock is what I'm hit to bed. But morning, I'm a morning person. So it's been always yeah. there since many years. So you're talking, you just talked about a book. So when is the book coming out? Yeah, so it's quite a few books. So one book is already ready and it's been published on Amazon called Threat Hunting in a Multi-Cloud Environment, which I co-authored with uh, two of my other friends. Right. Because it's very hard to write a book on your own. We're having a full-time job. So yeah. I always co-authored with a couple of friends. That, mm. that book is already ready. Right. Now I'm on my journey to write two other books. Uh, already uh, a couple of chapters has been written. First one is on a zero trust on a, on a digital estate. And yeah. second one is a digitization of uh, a risk in a pre-pandemic or post-pandemic world. Post Why would you write two books when one is so difficult to write? <laughs> As I said, it's a co-author. So we distribute the workload. Right. The second one, I'm the lead author and I have one more author from my, my company itself from US. So we are writing together. It takes a while. It takes six, eight months to write a book and another right. four months to publish. So it's, it's a one-year project. Right. I'm not going to finish right. that quickly. Right. This book, we started in November last year and now it is getting published. And what's, yeah. the, what's the drive for you? Why do you want to write? One, because I'm not traveling. 
otherwise i am on a plane every other week uh, mm-hmm. because of my job but the uh, pandemic is uh, has stopped me sit on on this particular chair of 24 hours so i thought okay let's spend some time since i'm not traveling and utilizing those number of hours convert them into a knowledge resources uh, and leave that legacy behind legacy. because i the book behind you is going to be there for 20 years i believe even if you have mm-hmm. read it you will not throw it mm-hmm. you if i have, if i gave you that book that my name will be always there every time yes. you look at it ha ah, i remember abbas hindi yeah, and he gave me this book yeah so wait for the copy i'll send you my signed copy definitely also. definitely abbas so kind of leaving a legacy behind i would say that's so that that that's awesome i think i got a lot of uh, this conversation abbas i'm really thankful uh, for your time is there anything you thought uh, son should have asked which i missed to ask we can have another version 2 of this <laughs> okay <laughs> so i'm there is never enough uh, time to share all the stories there are many such uh, fascinating stories of my life being traveled so much and worked in many countries on various topic aspects so there is a stories on on mentoring as well why i do mentoring because of personal experience some experience from my travel and working in a company uh, as i t- talk about fail fast you know it's not that i have i have always been successful in every job i have been failed in some jobs i have been fired in some jobs so it's all it's a mix of all experience mix of all experience strong, you know it's not That's everything it. rosy what you see uh, abbas has so many award but hey it has gone through some bad experience as well so yeah and you 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 made that very clear you said your learning is just fail fast uh, yeah. because if you don't fail fast you're stuck and uh, failing is uh, i mean again i think your entrepreneurial uh, yeah. entrepreneurial background also helped because yeah. the difference between a job and an entrepreneur or an employee and entrepreneur is employee is scared of failing he always wants to be correct whereas an entrepreneur is willing to fail and uh, because he knows failing is not really going left it's still going up because that's kind of a the way to succeed rather than failure and success are being two opposite sides so um, now really appreciate abbas thanks for coming and we will definitely catch up again for the second part of this conversation so yeah, thank you absolutely. very much love to have a chat again nishan thanks for having me Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host Hasan Ali. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Abbas Kudrati and got some good nuggets that you can use in shaping your career. I enjoyed the conversation and learned a lot. My key takeaways are fail fast, be willing to live outside comfort zone and never stop learning. That's all for me and uh, let me know what were your key takeaways and do not hesitate to reach out to me on LinkedIn. if you want to advance advance your career or make a change i may be able to assist myself or connect you with someone who's already gone the path you want to take